When it comes to investing, retirement, legacy planning, taxes, or health care, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found the Premier Retirement Radio Show with Jeff Bogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and to retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan. And now, here's Jeff Bogan with Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about current events, in particular, disinflation. We'll also be talking about Jeff's case of the week in which an investment advisor didn't quite have a totally comprehensive plan and how Jeff maybe came to the rescue on that. We've also got your listener questions and later on in the program, we'll be talking about 10 strategies for investing after to retirement. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great. Always good to be with you and uh, listeners in this area. It's a fun time. Just That's right. Take a break and talk. That's right. Talk about finances, your money. After all, it is only your retirement, all the money that you have saved for your retirement. We want to make sure that you have a retirement in which you thrive, not just survive. Anyway, glad everybody could join us this week on the radio program. Jeff, let us begin with what is happening in current events today. You know, there was an article, Jeff, I read that said disinflation theme boosts the markets. Now, I know that the markets have been boosted a little bit lately, but let's talk about disinflation. Disinflation would be the opposite of inflation in that inflation is going backward. How do you feel about that headline and does it really reflect what's going on with the markets? No, it really reflects where our society is and where our government has conditioned us to believe in disinformation and lies as if it's information and good stuff. I mean, you know, we could tell Bidenomics. Bidenomics has created about 25% of locked-in inflation, and it's still going up in excess of 3% year to year. And keep in mind, the summertime, because I don't know why, maybe people are just camping and out and about not doing quite as much stuff. But, you know, the inflation level last year also, that was when, you know, Biden was out there talking about how, oh, it's only up like a little bit. It's just like only up an inch. And even though it's up a lot, it's uh, only gone up a little bit this month. And so, you know, we expect the summertime to kind of cool down. The other thing is, is there's been huge information about lower um, consumption. Consumers aren't buying stuff. Shoot, Netflix just a couple of days ago got, uh, you know, horrible earnings. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot, if people are deciding not to pay 10 or 15 bucks just, you know, to have some entertainment on a regular basis, which is kind of like a no-brainer expense. If people are cutting that kind of stuff to where Netflix revenues are suffering and, you know, it tanks the NASDAQ 2% and, you know, Thursday morning or whatever, because and, and supposedly led by you know Netflix and others. But there's just a lot of hype and BS. You know, I'm starting to feel like we were back in the, the late 90s when I was still kind of young in the business. You know, I'd only been in there about a decade at that point. And all I'd seen was the 90s, which were kind of the roaring 90s. And we saw this hype about the internet and, you know, anything that had a dot com on it was going to the moon and the market was in a whole new space and it didn't matter. Earnings were fine. And even though companies had no earnings 
potential or they were losing money hand over fist and just, you know, Merrill Lynch and other companies are out there just raising tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of bonds for companies like WorldCom, which were defunct and basically bankrupt. Just, you know, saying they were in the internet business, you know, throwing internet cables and fiber optics out there and pretending they had a business model and the stock was going through the moon and, and stuff. I, I feel that's the same way with this like AI craze. I think that's probably more to do. And we'll probably, <laughs> I should probably come back to that because I'm still talking about the disinflation misinformation. But, you know, there's a lot of things that are making the market throw us some head fakes and make us think like it's doing stuff that, you know, indicates that there's some great economy out here. And, you know, we even have some people saying, oh, there's not going to be a recession now. I think Goldman Sachs. Oh, it's official because Goldman Sachs, you guys said it wasn't going to happen. Well, what about the official that it was going to happen a month ago from them? You know, I mean, everybody has a chance to change their mind. So what changed? Oh, well, we got some earnings reports from a few companies that, you know, maybe banks made a higher profit than they thought because, you know, they didn't go out of business this month because whatever. You know, a couple of companies got a few extra sales or they wrote off something against, you know, their bookkeeping that made it look like they're they're okay. But the bottom line is revenues are not growing robust. The only thing that's growing in a robust way is market prices, typically on NASDAQ or tech stocks that supposedly have something to do with AI, the artificial intelligence, right? So, mm-hmm. or the, yeah, is it really artificial intelligence? I think it's just artificial programming and they believe it's intelligence so right, they will right. buy into it and let it manipulate us into believing crap that isn't true. For example, disinflation, excuse me, it's up over 3%. That is inflation. Inflation at 1% is inflation. Inflation at 8 or 9%, yeah, it's almost bordering hyperinflation where we were. But the fact is, is we haven't given back any of it. If the inflation was down negative three, we go, oh, yay, good disinflation. We're going back to the way it was. We're going to get these 20% rate hikes on food and gas or 40 or 50%, 100% on some stuff that we're paying more now than we were paying a year or two ago. Those prices are still up and they're still going up 3% per year, year over year, the 3% above what it was a year ago. Now, that doesn't count all the other year over year gains month to month or quarter to quarter that they report that happened between July last year to July this year. That's just just this month compared to last month and the uh, amount of increase that it made wasn't as high. So there's a lot of manipulation with the jargon that's used, the words that they use to play on people. And I don't know what it is, is these chemtrails that they've been spraying out in the air for the last 10 years has Mm -hmm. made us stupid or made us complacent or docile or made us to where we have to just believe everything we hear because it's on TV or because somebody in the government said so. Oh my gosh, the government's the only place that you get elected to and you can start lying legally. (laughs) Think about it. I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, think about it. Every congressman, you know, you got these guys up there lying about everything and they, it's all politically bent to, you know, create their agenda and it doesn't matter what side you're talking about. They all can lie. Now, if you're a Democrat, you probably believe everything they say is truth. And if you're a Republican, you believe everything they say is lies. And guess what? On both sides are probably all lies. Or yeah, the majority exactly, of it is exactly. because they're trying to push agendas. The same thing with this economic crap. Oh, the economy's good. You know what? Maybe we won't have a recession. Maybe we'll do a head fake. But all I know is everything is at historically overvalued rates. Mm-hmm. Everything points to a recession other than, you know, current earnings boost by a couple of companies that came out. But then, you know, two days later, we have this like a consumer staple called Netflix. I mean, honestly, it's cheaper than any cable. Oh, yeah. 
if, if people are dropping Netflix at 10 bucks a month or whatever it is, maybe 20 if you have a whole family deal, I mean, people are pinching pennies. That doesn't sound like the economy is good. It's these little tiny, you know, membership sites, these consumer, the things that the consumer buys is telling us how healthy the economy is. Just because a company can cook its books and make it look like they're making money or just because the AI frenzy or this, you know, the hoopla that they all talk about AI, look at everybody's going to benefit by AI. Look at, oh, we got chat GPT at Microsoft. Microsoft stock, you know, goes up 50% in the next few months because chat GPT. How much do they make on chat GPT? I don't think they charge anything for it. No, they it's don't charge. They, do. they don't charge anything for it, Jeff. And I've asked chat GPT a number of things. And if you ask it anything that is beyond 2021, it really can't answer it. And it says that I only go up to 2021 because it's sort of scouring the Internet and the information that was available prior to 2021. So I guess the question to you is, Jeff, you know, you talked about the Democrats, the Republicans, all this biased stuff. Is there any unbiased financial news out there that people can really count on or should they simply just take everything with a grain of salt? Well, I mean, there's still fundamentals. I mean, there's still fundamentals that go back in statistics and you can see what price earnings ratios are. You can see what like a Schiller index is. You can see, you know, there's certain charting services and certain trends and things like that that do show us what happens in history. If you look at what actually happens in history and base your decisions on that, I think you're going to be right more often than you'd be wrong. But if you base it on what's on the news, they're throwing out so much manipulative stuff. And like I said, you know, getting back like chat GPT, it's old news. How are they making money on it? But how is it that the top five or six companies grow in the last six months by three and a half trillion dollars in market capitalization without more earnings? The earnings aren't going up. In fact, the earnings keep getting revised down. Yet the stock, those stocks have grown by $3 trillion when the entire revenue generated by the AI industry might come in around 2 or $3 trillion, which is less than the market cap growth in just a few months on these stocks. So it reminds me of the dot-com era where everybody was buying stocks just because it was the thing to do and stupid money was buying it. The institutions, even back then, I think they were kind of buying into that too, thinking that the frenzy was going to continue to go. But that's typically, if I follow the smart money and I look at where it's at right now, there's still more investment officers that think there's too much risk to be buying into the market, but they're loving the fact that people are willing to pay $400 for a stock that should be trading at 75 or 350 for a stock that should be trading at 250. They're happy to sell that stock to you because the market makers are the inventory holders. The market makers are the Merrill Lynch's, the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's, Citibank's, JP Morgan's. Everybody who's these big firms, these big institutions, they're the ones that hold the majority of stock. They hold inventory. That's how they're worth, you know, billions and trillions of dollars, right? If there's people out they want to buy it and are willing to pay more for the stock than the market value, they're happy to sell it to you and create a new market value because that's what somebody's willing to pay now. But the institutions are not buying stock from each other or they're not bidding up the stocks from the consumers. Hey man, we're hoarding NVIDIA stock. We want to keep buying at a higher and higher price. Maybe some are because you know the momentum says it's going to go up and maybe it's the chip of choice in the AI world. But there's just a lot of garbage going on and a lot of noise out there that is not supported by fundamentals. And that scares me, honestly. It makes me feel like like I'm in the 90s again, where we're on the brink of this can that keeps getting kicked down the road. Greenspan called it irrational exuberance. I think we're in the irrational exuberance. The fact is interest rates are going up. Housing sales are like a third of what they used to be when interest rates were down. You know, okay, inventory is not up, but people know they can't sell a house with high interest rates because they can't get their price. So they're just not putting them up for sale. So, you know, is that really a strong market concept or fundamental? Maybe a little bit, but the fact is, is everything costs more than it used to. Nobody's buying stuff they used to, not nobody, but you know, half the economy isn't buying stuff they used to. 75% of the people, the consumers think the economy's in worse shape 
they then apparently Wall Street tries to tout that it is. And Wall Street would love you to believe that we're not going into recession. You know why? Because Goldman Sachs is, oh, we're not going into recession. We're all out of the woods. Uh, this earnings from three companies this week uh, mean that everything's hunky-dory and we're not going into recession. Well, after the yield curve inverts, which it did a year ago, about, what, June of last year, typically between 11 and 14 months is the average time frame that a recession hit. So they're kind of looking for it right now. But if you look at the actual stats going back, you know, over 50 years when, you know, seven or eight times this has happened, the recession happens between six and 24 months later. So it doesn't always happen between 11 and 24. We may still get something six months from now because, you know, the government's still posturing, Wall Street's still manipulating our minds with jargon and disinformation about disinflation, which is still hogwash. I think the Fed's still going to raise interest rates coming up, I guess, any day now this month and maybe even next month or the month after that. I, I think there's going to be two more rate hikes just like they promised earlier in the year. I think they've discounted that as if they're not going to happen because uh, inflation isn't growing as fast. Somehow we don't have to keep you know monitoring interest rates and doing things to conti- continually monitor our interest rates being so out of whack. I mean, we can't have inflation even growing at 3 or 4% continually, compounding on top of the 20 or 25% that we've already had over the last 25 years and have that be a sustainable sustainable economic goal when more and more middle class are being priced out of even the middle class markets to buy stuff. So I think it's just more crap. It's just more uh, misinformation, you know, and they, they try to censor all the stuff that we hear, but they're happy to tell us that there's disinflation when it's still going up at three. It just blows my mind that 99% of the people, not just listening to this show, but anywhere, no matter what party they're affiliated, can't read that and go, oh, Inflation is up 3%. That's disinflation. They've got to know that that doesn't make sense based on second and third grade English words. I mean, excuse me. Up is up. Down is down. This means down. It's just crazy. Sometimes they just want us to think that a you know a round object is a triangle, and if we sell it enough, people will believe that it is a triangle. But I think the takeaway here is don't be influenced too much by what you read in the media, what you hear in the media. I think really what you should do is consult with a financial advisor who really can lay it all out for you. Our show is called Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan. And uh, Jeff, of course, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. If all this is confusing to you and you're interested in how disinflation or inflation is going to affect your retirement, I encourage you to call Jeff there at the office and get your Premier Retirement Roadmap at no cost and no obligation. Jeff will cover an income plan, investments that support that income plan, a tax plan, health care costs, and estate plan, but most importantly, answer your your questions that are keeping you up at night about how you're going to retire and stay retired. There's no cost for this. There is no obligation. It's simply a conversation with Jeff to get your questions answered. To get yours, call 520-780-9059. 520-780-9059. You can also request your plan online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Once again, 520-780-9059. One call could make all the difference. Jeff, let's talk about the case of the week. This is something that we're going to do on the show every week, and we're going to sort of recap a case that you had this week and a problem that one of your clients had or potential clients had without naming names. Can you fill us in on what you talked about with this potential client or client this past week? Oh, I got to name names. It's John and Mary. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. It's just Jane Doe and John Doe. <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, we'll, we'll throw some names. We'll, we'll just throw some names. Just, they're, they're fictitious. But this is a real case. I actually, it's funny you said, yeah, we're going to do a case of the week. What was your case of the week? I actually, this week was actually a, a vacation week, and I decided based on weather not to go on vacation. Right. So I'm just hanging around here, and I ended up having a few emails. And I got this email from a client that has been with me just under a year, basically finished up the first year. Now, let me back up a little bit. Just kind of, uh, a lot of people say, gosh, Jeff, you know, you don't have that many people 
people in your office, but man, you do this huge amount of work and you have so many clients. How do you do this? Well, we outsource a lot of that. We have a trading team. We have management teams. We have compliance people we hire that, you know, they work out of different offices. We outsource a lot of that stuff so we don't have to have 100 employees here to babysit. But organizations like mine that are independent, that are fiduciaries, there's about 500 of us that have bonded together through a particular organization that's based in the Midwest. And we share best practices. And so we basically talk to each other about, you know, how we diversify, how we use more than just portfolio management. Because when you get to retirement, you know, the people in in our business were very retirement focused. And so we talk to other people that do similar business like us. There's probably 10 or 12 of us in Arizona. There's five or 10 in every state. And we got about 500 of us nationwide. I mean, we've got just on the portfolio side, over 20 billion under management. We've got probably another 50 billion in uh, annuities and life insurance products because they create safety. And we have an estate planning team can help us do trust if they're, you know, beyond the scope of what we do in our particular office. So there's these teams of support organizations that are so good at what they do, I can't even hire those people. So instead, I just share my fees with them. And we also share best practices and have meetings several times a year. So let me back up from that. So that might just help help, uh, other people understand why, you know, I do most of the talking and why I'm able to visit with, you know, almost everybody that comes in. I, you know, have a couple of assistants and servicing agents that take care of some menial staff. I have some uh, admin, I have appointment setters and things that just basically manage operations here in Tucson and then a a staff in, in Mesa. But we have access to so many things. You would think that we're a huge company. Well, we are when you combine all those different assets. So anyway, this client comes to me about a year ago. They moved from a different state, happened to be working with one of the people in our network, which is kind of, well, not that we don't try to steal other people's clients or, or protect them, but here's the deal. We're all independent. They wanted to move and they wanted to have somebody a little bit closer. And I said, well, let me just look at what your situation. They had been from another state. And some of the stuff that we talk about in these, what we call best practice meetings is, you know, how we diversify, how we don't just use stocks, bonds, and cash. How when you get to a retirement standpoint, you like some predictable guaranteed income. So we might use income annuities or an annuity with an income rider or index annuities that keep your money safe and protect principles so that you can rely on that for your income and withdrawals for the next five or 10 years. In case the market's a little ugly, you can wait on that money. We use life insurance products for tax-free income or for that little slush bucket money that's a Roth alternative, but it's like a Roth on steroids because you can borrow from your death benefit tax-free and it never shows up as income. It never gets 1099 to you like Roth income does. It never increases the amount of income you show the IRS or you show the Medicare people to charge you more for your Medicare premiums, et cetera. And I, I go into a lot of stuff and hopefully really all I'm doing is creating a, a lot of questions for the uh, listener saying, hmm, my advisor hasn't talked to me about that. Should I be thinking about this? And if you should, you should be dealing with somebody that does more comprehensive planning like us. So anyway, we all do this comprehensive planning. So they went to this comprehensive plan. I go, oh, I know that person. They go to some of my meetings and um, I looked at the plan and sure enough, they had diversified. This particular case was about just shy of $2 million without counting the home. And they had, you know, about three quarters of it still in market stuff. And these people really didn't have a a risk tolerance. Most of the money was the wife's, call her Jane. And I said, well, why do you only have this tiny little LERP life insurance policy that might generate 10 or 15,000 in tax-free income in a few years when you're done funding it, when your taxable income's over $150,000 and your gross income that's showing up on your tax returns is around 200. You know, when you're in a 200 income level, and even if it's not all taxable, if it's your income, Medicare will increase your Medicare premium. So that's one, it's like an extra tax just because you make too much as a married couple. And there's some things that they can't really do away with because they've got pensions and social security. They're just getting close to that age where, you know, in a few years, they're going to have to start taking the required minimum distributions out 
out. And when I looked at their situation, I said, man, if you want to keep living on 150, you're going to have to keep all this income up. And this little tiny life insurance plan is not working for you. We need to accelerate this. And you should have had maybe $100,000 going into Alerp every year, at least put maybe a third of the 2000 maybe six or 700000 total into a plan where your money is now stealth. And by the way, you don't actually use LERP money, life insurance retirement plans, principal protected. You use life insurance just to get a tax break. Essentially, you're borrowing from your death benefit. You're living on your death benefit while you live. You typically can get two to three times what you put into it out in income that never shows up on your tax return. So instead of having 15,000 a year, we had to bump it to where it's more like 45 or 50 so that now that income that shows up anywhere near a tax return grosses out at less than 150 and the taxable income is down around 100. So basically what the case was, was they had dabbled into a comprehensive plan, but didn't do enough. We revitalized the plan and said, hey, by the way, Oh, gee. And they weren't very happy that we're down about, what, three fifty dollars or $400,000 in market losses last year, which they, although it didn't derail their plan because they had, sheep particularly, had saved quite a bit. And they had some good pension money, some other things that were, you know, helping solve their income problem. You know, I mean, they, they live okay. So it didn't totally ruin the problem, but it made them sick and they don't want to lose money. I said, well, okay, well, why don't we take another 500000 or so and put it in some principal protected asset that can't go backwards anymore? Oh, and if the market goes up like it has it'll gain. I mean, she's on an annualized rate of return just in the last few months of about 12, 12 and 13% per year. It's something that has no risk of principal. Well, that's pretty good upside, even though, you know, if you want go year to date, the market, uh, you know, NASDAQ's a little bit better than that. The market's up about that. But, you know, if you take last year's losses into consideration, which this would not have lost anything, you would have been adding gains. So we just basically took a plan that had started looking, it, it basically dabbled in the realm of comprehensive and we tweaked it to where now the taxes are going from, you know, 35 to 40,000 a year in taxes. And as soon as we get done funding in the next four or five years, the taxes are going to be under $20,000 a year. So you're, you're saving somewhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 in taxes on income if you'll just do the plan. Now, here's the rub. People forget why we make plans and why sometimes tweaking a plan might seem a little weird at first. And here's the thing. There is a million and a half dollars in qualified funds that are going to be taxable at age 73. And these two people are about 68. So five years from now, they're going to be forced to take out sixty or $80,000. That's if it doesn't grow. Probably eighty dollars to $100,000 in forced income as a required minimum distribution have to pay tax on it, whether they need it or not. Now, they're already living on about thirty to forty of it anyway. Well, why not lock that in at thirty or forty for the rest of your life, but move all the rest of your money to something that's tax-free and can still generate forty or 50000 more in tax-free income? What that means is over the next five years, you're going to pay an extra fifteen dollars or $20,000 in taxes for five years. But remember, we just dropped the tax levels, $20,000 for the rest of these people's lives. So in five more years, so all they have to do is make it to 78 and they break even. Anything after 78, they're saving taxes. Now, if Jane, who's very healthy, very healthy, in fact, she got more LERP. She's 68 years old and got a super preferred rate. So she's really healthy. What if she lives to 100? If she lives to 100, that's over $1.5 million in tax-free income, still about a half a million or more in tax-free legacy money, what's left of the death benefit. And if you look at that from a taxable standpoint, had she left it in her IRA, in order to net that type of income, she would have had to pay a lot more than 500000 I should say he, they, because even though it's her IRAs predominantly, he has a pension. He didn't get an IRA, he just got a pension. So he's got income that we can't really do anything about. But her situation, we've got to change and manipulate, but we've got to do the whole thing. We've got to do the math. We've got to show it on a spreadsheet. That's what we do on our roadmap. So we find out, okay, by paying $15,000 more in taxes, so pay $75,000 more in taxes now for the next five years, 
you'll save about 500000 in taxes over the course of your retirement. Is that a good trade? I mean, where can you invest $75,000 right now and know you're going to get a return of four or five times that or more? You can't. You can do it on tax planning, though. If we know what the tax code is, we already know they're in the 25 or 28 bracket for the rest of their lives. Why not be zero? Oh, and by the way, what if they could save about 1500 to 2000 a year just on Medicare premiums? Oh, and what if down the road they adjust Social Security based on your income? And instead of their adjusted gross income being around 200, now their adjusted gross income is around 130. Well, I, I would anticipate that they'd be seen as maybe less of a rich person, even though they're living on more spendable money than they would if everything was coming in on the tax column as the tax adjusted gross taxable income. So again, the case of the week is just somebody who had dabbled in it, thought they were doing okay, but the only reason they thought they weren't, uh, they weren't even think they weren't doing okay. They came in bragging about the plan and just said they just wanted more of a local guy to look it over. I said, yeah, I can look it over and I could do the same stuff. Stuff. We're just going to do the complete plan. They never saw it on a spreadsheet. They never saw what they were doing now, how it was going to affect them five or 10 or 20 years down the road. They never saw the full picture. What I do is I put it on a full picture. And if what they're doing doesn't make the perfect picture, we paint a better one mm -hmm. and we tweak it a little bit to make it better. So again, the reason I got a call is why are my taxes going up 20,000? I think I want to go back to the old guys because my taxes were lower. I said, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Over the course of your retirement, you're going to save about half a million more in taxes than you would have if you'd gone the other way. Oh, Okay, that's a pretty good investment. Yeah, tax planning is an investment. You may have to pay a little bit now on less money than you will later over the course of your lifetime over the next couple of decades, three decades, maybe more on more money because you're going to have to pay as you go as that income comes out at full tax rates. That's the case of the week. And Jeff, that is a great example of the sort of comprehensive plans that you do there at Premier Retirement, how you really lay things out and help people understand their taxation strategy, also their investment plans. If you've listened to this conversation and you're saying to yourself, you know, I really need somebody to show me how this works and to lay it out in a manner that I can really understand it and I want a comprehensive plan, I invite you to call Jeff at Premier Retirement and sit down and talk with Jeff. It's called our Premier Retirement Roadmap. The number to call is 520-780-9059. Now, keep in mind, there's no cost, no obligation. It's not going to cost you a dime, no judgment. 520-780-9059. Shelly will gather some basic information from you and put you on Jeff's calendar. It'll be a brief conversation. It'll be about 30 minutes or so, but it could be the best time investment that you'll ever make. Once again, 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation for that. You can also request your plan online at premred.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Time for a break, Jeff. When we come back, we've got listener questions later on in the show. We'll be talking to you about why it's important to invest all the way into and through retirement. All that and more when our show continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Glad you could join us again this week. Once again, I want to remind you, as we did last week, we're now a podcast. So if you've missed any part of the program today or you want to hear it all over again, you can hear this show and others by going to wherever you get your podcast. you know, places like uh, Amazon Music, and we've got it on Audible and iHeart and all the different platforms. You'll find Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan right there. You can also, if you just want to make it simple, just simply Google Premier Retirement Podcast Jeff Vogan, and it'll come up there any number of places. It's a great way to spend about 50 minutes or so or an hour in your car driving from here to there, learning a little something and being educated and informed. 
So once again, it is a podcast. If you want, you can also go to the website, which is premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com, and you can hear the show there. Jeff, as you know, and our listeners know, every week we do listener questions. This week, no different. We'll kick it off this week with Len in Rancho Vistoso, and he writes, I have six separate IRA accounts created over the years in two different banks. I would like to consolidate these all into one IRA, but I heard something about the one-year rule, and I didn't want to make any mistakes. I went to the IRS site, and the description says that you can't do two rollovers from the same IRA in the same year, which rather implies that more than one IRA would be okay. But right after that, it says you can do only one regardless of how many IRAs you have. So is it going to take me six years to consolidate all these accounts, or am I misunderstanding something here? Uh, yes, you are. Uh, first of all, then, it's good that you check the rules because a lot of people make that mistake and find out the hard way that they just made a big error. There is a big misunderstanding in what a rollover is and a trustee-to-trustee transfer or what's called a direct transfer. The uh, A rollover implies that you actually take custody or control of the account. In other words, you would take an IRA out and have them write you a check. You'd deposit it in a bank and look for another IRA and to put it into. You can do that one time a year, no matter how many accounts you have. So pick one, or better yet, just do trustee-to-trustee rollovers. In other words, not rollovers, but trustee-to-trustee direct transfers. The company would then, for example, if you have a, an IRA at Fidelity and you're going to move it to Vanguard, I'll just use two companies, I wouldn't necessarily move it there or whatever. But uh, you, know, you open an IRA at Vanguard. Let's say you want to open it. Oh, let's just say you want to, we use Fidelity. So let's say you have an IRA at Vanguard, you have an IRA at Schwab, you have an IRA you know, at some other bank, credit union, and you want to move all the Fidelity IRA that we set you up. You just have to do either a transfer form from the new IRA that says, hey, send us the money. Here's your client signature that says he wants you to send the money in his account to his new account. And you just write the check to Fidelity, FBO, or for benefit of Len. So it goes into Len's account. As long as you don't actually have constructive or actual receipt of those funds... In other words, if you don't receive a check with your name on it, payable to you and depositable into any of of your own accounts, if it's payable only to the institution, then you never take actual possession. You can do that as many times as you want. So it's very common here. We do this all the time. We consolidate. We think consolidation is smart. We typically do consolidate all the 401ks, IRAs, everything that's qualified in a non or in a traditional IRA type of account that's qualified, we would put into one IRA just to start. We would take all your Roth IRAs, combine those if you have several of them. It could be a Roth 401k or a couple of Roth IRAs. We combine them into a new Roth account. And from there, we might want to reposition some of those assets into some managed money, maybe some private equity funds, maybe some real estate stuff, maybe even a precious metals trust. Or maybe you convert some of that from the IRA to a Roth in order to pay some taxes, or we even move some to live on or to convert to a LERP, life insurance type retirement plan. We may also set up some of that. Let's just say these six accounts add up to a million dollars. You know, maybe we'll put 300 of it into an account that'll generate you two to $3,000 a month in income to supplement the two to 3,000 you're already getting from social security so that you have your absolute minimum nut of, you know, 6,000 a month that you have to have to live on guaranteed. Depending on what your goals are and how you want to set it up, we can consolidate those accounts and then reposition them from one IRA into new IRAs. So you can do this multiple times. We do it all the time. We like the consolidation at least to start off with, and then we unconsolidate 
I don't think we would move it back into six different IRAs, but we might move it into a principal protected account and a managed account in the Roth and a principal protected account and a managed account in the IRA. So maybe you have four accounts, whereas now you have six or eight accounts, depending on where your money's scattered around. But I hope that answered your question. Once again, if you have questions of Jeff, simply give him a call, 520-780-9059. Thank you for sending in that question. We will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. And if our listeners want to get a hold of that, maybe they want to read that this weekend, you can go to premret.com, go to the resources tab there and click on that. You'll find a downloadable link to Retirement, The Road Ahead. Very, very good reading. Our next question, Jeff, is going to be Janet listening to us in Catalina. Janet says, I'm 62, my husband is 64, and we plan to retire in three years. We have $550,000 in retirement plans. Social Security will cover our minimum dignity floor in retirement. So my question is about a pension I have. The lump sum would be about $280,000, and the monthly lifetime benefit would be around $1,300 a month. So should I take the lump sum option for my pension or the lifetime benefit? What's your opinion? Well, at that payout, that seems like a ridiculously low payout. It's not even 5%. Typically, you get a 6 or a 7% payout on most pensions. And here's the rub that I really hate about these lump sum pensions that get turned into a lifetime annuity. At 1300 a month, if you get hit by a truck in year five, you don't get that money anymore. Now, I'm guessing that based on how low that number is, you're probably taking a joint payout. But let's say you both get hit by a truck five or 10 years down the road. You don't even get your money back. You, I mean, you'd have to live 20 years just to break even or a little bit more than that, just to break even on the 280. That's assuming it doesn't even make any money. So my opinion is that's a horrible payout, number one. Second of all, you lose control of the principal. What if you moved it out to your own lifetime income plan with an A-plus rated company that manages tons of pensions, actually manages pensions for first responders and government entities, but they are an insurance company that can offer you a personal pension plan as well. And here's the cool thing. You move the 280 over there, they're going to give you a 20% bonus in income value just to calculate your income. You wait three years and your benefit's going to be somewhere in the, let's see, be about 20, roughly 20,000 or more per year, probably 22 to 24,000 a year. And if you ever needed to cash in the 280 plus its growth, because you get sick or you just need extra benefits and you know you're not going to live long enough to where that $20,000 a year income makes a difference anyway, you can just blow out of it and spend the money. So you have the best of both worlds. You still have access to the lump sum. You may take a penalty if you do it too early, if you blow out of it too early, but you can get that guaranteed income for the rest of your life. And again, on a single life payout, it'd be 20 to, I'm guessing somewhere between 20 to $24,000 a year. On a joint payout, probably 18 to $20,000 a year. So you're already getting about a 50% upgrade in payout and you don't lose access to the benefits. So heck yeah, you should shop that. I would not keep that pension where it is. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the numbers I'm using is based on history I have with one particular company that I really like for income. I've got probably six or eight companies that uh, give a pretty good income payout if you just want a guaranteed income. That could be a little more than that even, but you would still lose the principal. But that's the best of both worlds, kind of the cake and eat to in, uh, uh, alternative to a lump sum payout. And based on the numbers you're telling me, you could do a lot better. Love to talk to you more about it and help you out. Janet, that number 520-780-9059 if you want to talk to Jeff about making this decision. And it is a decision that a lot of people need to make, not so much for younger people because, of course, uh, these days pensions don't exist like they used to. But still, there are a lot of us baby boomers out there who may have pensions. We appreciate you listening to the program there in Catalina. Next question is Ira listening to us in Sabino Canyon. And Ira says, I've heard you talk about the different stages of retirement, the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. What are some 
cash withdrawal strategies for the go-go years? Should I take money from pre-tax or retail accounts? Um, it depends. Uh, you know, let's put it out on a spreadsheet. Let's put the next 30 years out on a spreadsheet and see how much you need to take. Now, earlier I was talking about a person that had $2 million that was uh, trying to reposition assets so they'd be in a low tax bracket down the road. The way we did it was we never wanted her to go into a higher than a 25% tax bracket marginal ever. Now, what that required was that we had to start taking withdrawals from the a Roth IRA right away, not forever, because we funded a LERP, and then after that, we could take less money out of the Roth and let that just continue to grow. Then we take money from the LERPs that's uh, stealth and non-reportable income and tax-free and everything else. That would make up a lot of the difference. But she was kept as a single person in the 25% or lower tax bracket for the rest of her life. Had she just waited and spent all her cash now, let the tax deferred, which a lot of accountants and financial advisors would say, all the stuff that they're making their money on, the fees on everything, just leave it, just leave it, defer it, kick it can down the road, just spend all your cash and let this grow because it's tax deferred. You won't pay any taxes. You'll be in a zero tax bracket for the next three or four years. Well, right now the tax brackets are lower than they have been in years and years with the Trump tax cuts. And you should be paying tax on as much money as you can right now at 22 and 24% instead of what's going to be 25% in three years. So pay as low taxes as you can on as much money as you can now and not pay taxes later. So what we do is we build a plan and we say, oh, looks like for the next three years, you're going to take twice as much out of your IRA as the Roth. After that, you're going to take twice as much out of the Roth and the LERP than you are out of your IRA. And huh your overall tax bill is going to be less than 10% of your total income between now and the time you die. You just have to spend this money now in the go-go years and spend that money later in the, in the slow-go years. But it's not rocket science, but it is scientific in the fact that you really do have a good question in that there is a rationale behind when you take certain amounts of money out of certain types of accounts. And it's all based, honestly, your cash flow really should be based on your tax bracket, not based on just some sort of a general idea of some value system that grandpa and somebody else put in your head. So I think I think you just need to look at the whole picture. Whatever makes you keep the most in your pocket overall and that you send the least amount to the IRS, I think, is the, the best plan we can do for you. Ira, thanks so much for that question. We appreciate you listening to us in Savino Canyon. And again, you will get a hard copy of Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. If you'd like us to answer a question on the air for you, you can send it to us by going to primret.com, going to the contact page there and emailing it to us from there. And once again, if we use your question on the air, we'll send you a hard copy of Retirement the Road Ahead. And again, if you'd like to read that book this weekend, you can download it in digital form by going to primret.com and clicking on the resources tab there. It's very simple to do. It's primret.com. Jeff, before we go any further here, I once again want to remind our listeners that if you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff for his premier retirement roadmap, no cost, no obligation, no judgment, call 520-780-9059 to schedule your place on Jeff's calendar. Shelly has got it right in front of her and she'll find the appropriate slot for you. She'll take some basic information. And if you want to call this weekend, you can do that. Simply leave your information and someone will get back to you. Again, it's primret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Or if you want, you can call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. Jeff, according to Go Back Rate, 20% of Americans are delaying their retirement because of inflation. Do you think it really makes sense to delay retirement because of recent inflation? 
unfortunately, I did, uh, in some cases, it's the only way you can retire on the level or the uh, income level that you need. I mean, keep keep in mind, inflation has gone up over 20% overall. And if you look at gas and food and utilities and housing prices, if you're renting or even some municipalities are raising taxes and things like that to where you know even the fixed costs or those things that you thought were fixed aren't fixed anymore. They still go up. So if you're paying 20% more, let's say you planned on retiring and it takes $100,000 to live and you had enough to basically make those ends meet, let's say you had a million and a half dollars, and that would give you that $100,000 a year you needed total, and now your needs are 120, probably going up to 125 or 130 by the time this inflation cycle gets under control, maybe even more than that, you're going to end up needing 20 to 30% more in assets given the similar returns going forward. And keep in mind, we just had a setback in uh, you know prices and valuations in the stock market. I mean, the NASDAQ, although it's on a tear, still isn't back to where it was before it started crashing, uh, S&P and Dow either. So you know, we've still got a, a little ways to wait before markets get on a tear again. I still think we're going to look at a recessionary period where there might be another last sell-off before the markets get to a better place to start buying in again. So, yeah, I think working right now, if you're on the cusp of retirement, I think working through this, uh, what might become a recession and adding a little bit of income and extra 401k contributions to that account, if that is what you want to retire on, may be necessary. Now, on the flip side, if you've got so many assets that you're going to have triple the income of what you're used to spending right now, then who cares if you retire? You're now, instead of having triple the income you need, you've only got double the income you need. Whoopie-doo. That's still more than you need. But uh, for many retirees, I think the middle-class retiree and even the what we would call the mass affluent retiree, those people between, say, $1 and $5 million in retirement assets, some of them aren't going to hit the numbers, uh, maybe the 2 to $5 million range, but the $1 to $2 million range especially, that doesn't go as far as people think. People that have $1 to $2 million in retirement savings have probably been making between one and $200,000 a year over the last five years. They're probably used to spending most of that. So if you want to keep that same type of a, you know, retirement plan, and if you're in the stock market and bond market, you know, the old 4% rule doesn't even work anymore. 4% of a million and a half is 60,000 bucks. If you can make up the other 40 or so in social security, you're still only at a hundred. Well, if a hundred thousand used to get it, but 130 is where you need to be now. Well, you either need to rethink that 4% rule or rethink repositioning to LERPs and index annuities and maybe getting that income up to the 120 or 130 amount. Interestingly, this plan, I, I'm going to go back to that same plan because it's pretty fresh on my mind. It was just this week, a few days ago, that you know, the single woman you know, saved a lot. She's working with some uh, people that just do stock bonds and cash portfolio management only. They call themselves fiduciaries, just like the guys on TV call themselves fiduciaries, but only do one thing for everybody. I don't understand how you can be a fiduciary in retirement planning if you're not doing the whole retirement plan or doing a comprehensive job of it, looking at cash flow, taxes, guarantees, principal protection, all those things that the client actually wants. If you're a fiduciary, you should do what the client wants. If she says she doesn't want to lose any money, then you should put most of the money in places that you can't lose money or at least have all those things that are guaranteed. Needed. So she needs to live on $100,000. She's got the potential. She would have to live on $100,000 keeping a portfolio that is based on a 4% rule type of a rate of return. And hopefully she'll still have a couple million dollars when she dies. When we put the plan together that included LERPs, included index annuities and income for life, guaranteed to start at age 73 and three years after three years of deferral, in other words, in year four, and take income off of the LERP, even starting as early as year two, that income went from $100,000 to $130,000 on average, mostly because of tax, 10 or 15 of that was just tax savings. The other was guaranteed income 
on principal protected assets. You take volatility and the market risk out of the equation, your money will last longer, period, and in a more predictable, sure way. And if you don't have a big stomach for risk and gut checks when the market goes up and down and you're just now getting into retirement, consider you're going to have probably three, four, maybe even five of these big 20% plus market corrections between now and the time you're done retiring. In other words, time you're done, your time's out, right? So get used to it. This is not just the one time and then it's all off to the races and back in the business again. You might be in the back of the business getting back to even over the next five years, spending some money down. And then the next time it crashes, you're so far underwater and you're so far from retirement, you can't go back to work. Then you're going to be digging yourself a big hole. So again, if you can go more conservative, use some tax planning and incorporate principal protection and some LERP type programs and strategies, you might be able to bump your income 20 or 30% and maybe you can still hit those goals and be prepared for the future market corrections and not be in the market you know, with the hold and hope method and everything dangling out there at risk, your entire retirement sanity and financial survivability is based on the stock market that you and I can't control that is that basically changes at the whim of whoever's in the White House and what policies might be driving the Fed or whatever. So again, you know, if you want to leave your retirement to chance, just keep doing what you're doing that got you there. If you want to leave your retirement in a more predictable way and find out if you can retire, then consider moving out of where you're at and into a different strategy. And you might find out you can actually retire early, but it will take a different strategy in what you're doing. Jeff, getting back to the original question, and I want to preface it by saying this, you know, right now inflation's around 4%, but who knows? I mean, it could be going down to 2% again in another year. Nobody really knows that. So considering that, it sounds like your recommendation is that you could retire right now, but if you wait, your retirement could be even better. What I'm saying is, even though inflation goes back to 2%, if, it, if they do get it under control, it doesn't get rid of the 20 we've already experienced. That 20 or 30 that's going to take place between now and the time inflation actually gets back to the more manageable rate of 2 is still there. So if you're going to keep doing what you're doing and take a lot of risks, then you're going to have to keep working and have a lot more padding and buffer in a retirement plan. So I think the people that are just doing 401ks that are looking at volatility and their financial well-being know that they have to continue to work in order to make sure that they have enough buffer in their retirement plan. However, so yes, the answer is if you do it right, you may find that as long as inflation kind of stays at four and kind of retracts a little bit, mm-hmm. even with that prior 20, 25 or 30% bump in prices of everything, if you can create an income plan that generates 20 to 30% more income and part of that being less taxes, then maybe you can go ahead and retire anyway. So again, it's it, it will take a different strategy than what you're probably using. Those people that are continuing to work know they're either underwater. Now, if they've already been here, I have clients that have come and done their best, but they still want to live at a little bit higher lifestyle than they can. And so they're still working just because they want to hit certain numbers, but they've already preserved at least X amount of income and predictability in their plans up to now. And they know what that gap is and they know how many years it'll take them to fill it. It's unfortunate for so many that come in and they have no idea how long they're going to work because they have no idea what the market's going to do. They have no income generating assets that guarantee anything other than Social Security. And in my opinion, you need a lot bigger buffer and are probably going to have to work longer in that scenario than you would in a scenario like we use. Jeff, for a lot of people, retirement includes a part-time job now more so than ever. What should people know if they're considering a part-time job in retirement? 
Well, I know sometimes that part-time job is for the money and sometimes it's just to get out of the house so you don't have to do honeydews all day. You know, I get that. So uh, whatever it is, whether it's for income or whether it's just to get out of honeydews, yeah, whatever your reason for working is your reason for working. However, keep in mind that if you are not at full retirement age, Social Security can be withheld if your income's, you know, over roughly the 20000 range. So they will actually withhold a certain amount, like $1 for every $2 you make, they'll withhold a dollar of Social Security. Now, you'll get that back, but they amortize it over the next 30 years of your expected life expectancy. So it's not just a, a complete, you know, reimbursement of a lump sum of, you know, what you get back at full retirement age because you deferred some of it. It actually gets amortized back into the amount that you get for life. That might not be a bad thing. I mean, shoot, if you make more money, you don't need your Social Security. You might as well let it, you know, increase your future incomes when you start taking Social Security again. But keep in mind, if you are trying to deplete your share of the Social Security Trust Fund as fast as you can, you may not be able to do it if you get that part-time job prior to full retirement age. Other things is just, you know, keep in mind what it does to your tax uh, bracket. You know, if you're bumping right up on the edge of a 25% tax bracket, maybe you're making $100,000 a year being taxed on about 75 of it, which puts you in that 15% tax bracket, but pretty close to the max after the Trump tax cuts go away. That's going to be what's going to be in 2026 and going forward. Every dollar you make, even in a part-time job, you make $20,000 in a part-time job, 5000 of it's going to the government. Plus, you still have to put into Social Security and Medicare and stuff like that. So you're going to be probably losing seven or $8,000 of a $20,000 part-time job income if you go into that tax bracket. Is it worth it? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's just the extra money you need to go see the kids in Florida every year or to go uh, on that European cruise that you wanted to go on the Rhine River next year. Maybe that's why you want the thing and it's okay to pay taxes because, hey, you want it bad enough. Whatever. Your reason to work is your reason to work. But keep in mind, taxes should be taken into consideration and possible reductions in payouts on uh, Social Security and maybe even pensions, depending on how your pension is designed. Great information on today's show, Jeff. I want to thank you for your time. And once again, remind listeners, if you've missed the show today or you want to hear it all over again, wear a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Jeff Bogan, Premier Retirement. We've got a number of shows right there. Jeff, we are out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. I want our listeners to remember, if you'd like to get your Premier Retirement Roadmap, it's 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation. 520-780-9059 or online at premret.com. Have a great weekend. For Jeff Bogan, I'm Jeff Shade. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona State Registered Investment Advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade Insurance, and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally referred to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This show is intended for informational purposes only, not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Premier. Premier and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.